so good to be with you here today. I want to also pass along greetings to those who are watching in our sanctuary today, those who are watching online. We are so glad you are here with us today as we continue on this journey leading us into the summertime. But before I do uh, the next step in our sermon series, I want to say thank you as well. There are many of you who have helped and served in very particular ways to help me get a sense of being at home here. And uh, there are people on the transition team. There are people who have been praying and continue to pray for me and my family. And uh, that just means so much to me. I, I can't tell you how much um, I'm grateful and my family is grateful for the little notes of encouragement, the things that filled up my wife's inbox uh, in email and filled up the mailbox with letters and words of encouragement from this congregation. It meant so much and it means even more today because today, finally, my whole family is here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It feels so good. It's so good. So uh, we're not moved into our house yet, but we are there, and uh, the big moving truck is coming on Tuesday. So anybody who would like to help with some moving... <laughs> uh, no, no we're, we're very blessed and very thankful for that. Well, you know, those people who have been praying have been praying about a lot of different things. They weren't just praying for me. There have been people who have been praying all the way through this transition time. And why would people be praying so much? Because Jesus taught them. Jesus taught them how to pray. He gave them specific instructions about praying. Some places where people didn't even know necessarily what it meant to pray. Jesus introduced them to prayer. Jesus introduced them to serving and loving and how those two things work together in loving and serving God and loving and serving your neighbor. Jesus taught these brilliant, amazing things all throughout his ministry. And in addition to that, he also introduced us to the Holy Spirit and taught about the Holy Spirit. And that's why we are in our current sermon series called That's the Spirit. We want to identify some of these places specifically where Jesus taught his disciples and thereby taught us about this amazing gift, this amazing third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we need Jesus to introduce us to the Holy Spirit? It's simply because of this. Many of us were raised in mainline denominational churches. And when I say that, I'm talking about Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, Roman Catholic, Baptist, you, you name it. I'm, I know I'm listening some and I'm missing some. So, uh, but those are all wonderful churches. But I know when I was raised in the church, there was kind of the Father, the Son, and the the other one. There was, there was this sense of, well, the Holy Spirit's out there, but he's really out there. He's kind of the strange uncle of the family, and so we don't talk that much about him. And that's really a shame, because as a result, we've missed out in some ways on so much of what Jesus wants to come into our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's why we're taking particular time right now to make sure that our teaching about the Holy Spirit isn't incomplete or absent or just plain wrong as some of us were raised in. So we're continuing to let Jesus introduce us to the person of the Holy Spirit. And today, he's going to do that through a man named Nicodemus. And I would invite you to open up your Bibles this morning because we are going to be looking at John chapter 3. I want to make sure you have the page number because I don't just anticipate and expect that everybody knows the page number where to get in their Bibles. So we have some Bibles that we are handing out. If you would like a Bible to follow along, I would really encourage you to do that so that you can turn to John chapter 3. And it's on page 1,556. 1,556. Great. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those. If you have a Bible on your cell phone or on your iPad or anyplace else, or you brought one of those old text books like this, 
You're welcome to open and follow along with me, and I really encourage you to do that. So let's follow along now. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Who is this guy, Nicodemus? Let me just give you a little bit of an introduction. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means that basically means that he was one of the really good guys. Okay, He was one of the people who really took his faith seriously, very, very seriously. As a matter of fact, Pharisees were the ones who were noted for keeping all the things that God had put into the Bible as commands. All of them. Do you think they all did them perfectly? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. But they were trying really, really hard, and they looked at a lot of other people who weren't doing things really, really hard, and kind of looked down on them like, you know, you really don't have this all together. But here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's a leader on the ruling council. Now, the ruling council back in those days in Jesus' time wasn't just a religious ruling council. They would have been a political ruling council, too. So this is like having somebody who was really, really holy who comes to your house and also happens to be like the governor or, or the, the mayor of your town or something like that showing up at Jesus' door and knocking on the door in the middle of the night. Now, why would somebody do something like that? Why do you suppose some great official, somebody looked highly upon in the society, would come and show up to see Jesus at night under the cover of darkness? Because he didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. He was really curious. He really wanted to hear something from Jesus because he is sure that there's something special about this Jesus. But he also has a reputation. So he kind of sneaks over to Jesus' place in the middle of the night, knocks on the door, says, hey, Jesus, you know, there's just no way anybody could deny that you have been sent by God and that you, Rabbi, are a teacher. And teaching would mean a lot to a Pharisee. They were very knowledgeable about God and, and saw this knowledge and this power coming through Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to say something kind of curious. He says, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, what does that mean? Friends, how does anyone become an authentic Christian. Let me say that again. How does anyone become an authentic Christian? Well, there are not many answers to that question. There's only one answer, Jesus's answer. Jesus says you are an authentic Christian 
because a spiritual rebirth has happened in your life. And the agent behind that spiritual rebirth is none other than the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Let's dig a little deeper into what Jesus means by that. Flesh gives birth to flesh. God has set in place an amazing system in the world. It's incredible, it's phenomenal, it's fantastic. It's natural, it's biological, and it is a system he has put in place where creatures reproduce other creatures. Everybody knows that creatures don't just pop into existence spontaneously, right? Creatures give birth to other creatures, okay? Cows have calves, whales have calves. Horses have little horses, right? Humans have little humans. They give birth to like. Like gives birth to like. Flesh gives birth to flesh. It's amazing. It's incredible. And Jesus knew his biology. Jesus understood this. He totally understood that this is the way that the natural world works, the way God has put in place all these natural systems, wonderful systems that he has put in place. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for these incredible things. But for some people, this natural system is not just a biological system. It's not just an aspect of science. It's a philosophy It's called a naturalistic worldview. And it existed then, and it certainly exists now in the age of scientific discovery. For people with a naturalistic worldview, it means that nothing outside of science has any answers. That there exists nothing outside of what we can see, touch, taste, observe, and measure. There is nothing else. Science has all the answers, and everything else is a myth or a superstition. That's what a naturalistic worldview says. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying science is bad at all. Wonderful things we can learn from science. Fascinating things we can learn about our universe. Amazing things that we can discover about the way that God has created all of this, and there's so much more to learn. But that's not the same as having a naturalistic worldview. When you have a naturalistic worldview, you say, yes, the world works in these scientific ways and no other ways. There is nothing else. There is just the physical, material world. Friends, Jesus rejected that idea. I reject that idea, and so should you. Why? Because there is so much more. Much can be explained by nature and naturalism and creation. Absolutely. A lot of our created world can be explained and understood through those things. But there is another whole aspect of the world, and it is the spiritual world. And it is every bit as real. Every bit as real. The natural and the supernatural go side by side. There are things that happen naturally based on the systems that God has put in place. But there are other things in which God supernaturally intervenes into our natural world and creates and does and works miracles. This is the world that we understand or that I want you to come to understand and to see that Jesus certainly understood as well. Flesh gives birth to flesh, 
but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. God intervenes in our lives in miraculous and powerful ways. And at the very top of that list, the number one miracle that God has done in your life is causing you to believe in Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the greatest miracle of all. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. There has been a spiritual rebirth in your life. If you say Jesus is Lord and can confess Him as your Savior and Lord, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. The Bible itself says in 1 Corinthians that no one can call upon the name of the Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can call Jesus Lord or can speak the words Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So if you can say that today, that is a miracle, friends. It's a miracle. A miracle of God's rebirth. God, for Jesus' sake, has done a supernatural miracle in your life through the work and person of the Holy Spirit. I'm repeating it over and over again because I so want this to get into our minds. And the reason for that is this. There is so much alternate teaching about this. There's so many other perspectives and ideas about how somebody becomes a Christian. So let me take a little bit of time here to talk about how it is you don't become a Christian, okay? (laughs) Some things that do not make you a Christian, okay? You are not a Christian because you inherited it from your parents. There is no DNA transfer from father to child that made you a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Now, interestingly enough, for Nicodemus in this story, for Jewish people, that would be a major understanding of how they came into the Jewish faith. They were born into it. That's how it works. Children have children, and those children have children, and as long as they are brought up in a Jewish home, you are Jewish, period. It's not the same. Just because your parents were a Lutheran or your mom and dad or your great-grandma were Catholics or whatever it happens to be, those things don't just somehow DNA on down to you. You are not a Christian because your parents were Christians and you inherited it from them. Here's the second thing that you're not. You're not a Christian because you attend church. There aren't some spiritual cooties out there that if you show up at church enough, those cooties jump off of the Christians onto you and make you a Christian. Okay? Doesn't work that way. You're not a Christian just because you come to church. One of my favorite musicians back in the 1970s and 1980s was a Christian artist by the name of Keith Green. And Keith Green was well noted for making this comment. He said, you know what? Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) So you're not a Christian because you attend church. Now here's what else you're not. You're not a Christian because you figured it out intellectually. You're not a Christian because one day you studied your Bible and after reading it enough and comparing all the weights and the evidences, you said, all right, now I believe. It doesn't work that way. 
Nobody makes a mental assent up to Christianity like, like God was just waiting for you to figure it out. And when you figured it out, then you became a Christian. It doesn't work that way. And finally, you are not a Christian because of some ritual that was done to you or some experience that you had on the mountaintop. Now, many of us can talk about mountaintop experiences that we've had, right? I imagine if you were to survey this room and chat with some people who have been Christians for a while, they may be able to point to a particular place in time. Maybe it was at Bible camp. Maybe it was down at Okoboji. Maybe it was on a mission trip. Maybe it was on a retreat. Maybe it was on somebody's backyard when you were there and suddenly you went, wow, this is an incredible experience of worship. This is an incredible experience of God's creation. I now am a Christian. It doesn't work that way, friends. You are not a Christian because someone sprinkled some water on you or you dove into a lake and got wet. That is not what made you a Christian. You are a Christian because of a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Now, can the Holy Spirit use the church that you grow up into as a means of coming into your life? Absolutely. Can the Holy Spirit use godly parents in your life to pass along the wonders and goodness of God to you so the Holy Spirit begins to work into your heart? Absolutely. Can the Holy Spirit use intense study, observing the scriptures, learning to appreciate them, to reveal himself to you through the power of the Holy Spirit? Certainly. Can God use rituals and important moments and sacraments like baptism or the Lord's Supper or that mountaintop experience you had in worship one time where you felt God's presence so intensely you reached out to Jesus and said, Jesus, I love you. I love you. Take my life. I'm yours. Can God use those things in your life? Absolutely and without a doubt. But the one thing they all hold in common and the one agent that it is at work behind every single one of those things is the Holy Spirit. You are a Christian because for God's sake, through Jesus' work and love and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you were brought to Jesus to trust and believe in him. And it may have happened at a moment that you remember may have happened at a moment that you don't remember. Because the remembering and those things aren't on you. What is, is the trust that God is at work and that his Holy Spirit has claimed you and called you to be one of his own. That's what it means to be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And every one of us comes into this world through natural means. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And we all come into God's kingdom through supernatural means. It is a supernatural miracle. And the greatest and first miracle of all is that you believe. 
That's what makes us part of one community. That is what makes us part of one family. That is how you and I are saved. It is the work of the Holy Spirit pouring on us and pointing us directly to Jesus on the cross, to what Jesus has done for us in sacrificing his love, in laying his life down for you and for me, pouring out his blood, breaking his body. It all points there, and the only way that that makes any sense is through the Holy Spirit. Because it happened 2,000 years ago, and you and I weren't there to witness it. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can experience it in our lives today. We get to experience it in just a few moments through another miracle, through the miracle of Holy Communion. We're going to come around the table, and we are going to pray together, and we're going to hear the words that Jesus said, and the faith in our hearts is going to remind us that Jesus is truly present. He's really present with us as we receive that bread and that wine. Jesus is there. What a miracle. Without that, folks, what is it? It's bread and it's wine, tiny little cup. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, what is this? It's a group getting together to sing, do some nice things with each other and for each other and for our community. It's the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. And friends, there is so much more. And we're going to be talking about how much more there is in the weeks to come. But right now, we're going to prepare our hearts to come to this table, to receive what God has for us at his table, knowing that it was done for you, for you, far in advance. So let's pray as we prepare ourselves to come to his table. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus into this world to reveal yourself to us completely and totally. Jesus, thank you for walking among us and revealing the love and heart of the Father and everything you did and everything you said for purposely and perfectly living out the life that we couldn't and can't apart from you. And Jesus, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us, to bring us into faith, to do that work that we could not do in and of ourselves, but had to come from outside. That's you, Holy Spirit, meeting with our spirit and bringing about a new birth in us, a second birth into life with you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for this gift. And remind us of this gift, Lord, as we come to your table. Amen. Would you please stand?